0: In a world where horrid stenches and piercing screams come not from the realms of fantasy, but from the nightmare of reality. Come two heroes bonded by love and the kind of desperation only parents can know. No, God, please, no! 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 Behold, RPGs and Baby Makes 3, the greatest podcast in the history of all podcasts by parents who have made a podcast about being gamers with a baby. Did I mention it's a podcast? Here are your hosts, Gretchen Hilmers and Rob... Hessler. All right, everybody, welcome to a very special episode of RPGs and Baby Makes Three. Today we have on the show Benjamin Sperduto, aka Ben Sperduto, and he is a game designer under his imprint last readout games and also a sci-fi and fantasy author a musician and the parent of a teenager so we will talk a little bit about how he two teenagers to... actually two teenagers oh <laughs> my gosh oh my wow. goodness. two teenagers. <laughs> and yet he's releasing rpgs in fact he just he currently has a game that is live on Kickstarter right now through June 8th of 2021, Augmented, which is a rules-light RPG. It's a cyberpunk game, and we're going to talk all about that. But kind of before we get into all of the details about Augmented, which I'm excited about, and you know I've personally backed the game, I want to take a step back to kind of where we first sort of found out about you, Ben, and that's through the game Weirdwood, which I really love the vibe of this whole game, Um, the sort of all, all the ideas and everything like that. And at this point, I'm going to let Gretchen kind of take over because we noticed one really interesting detail at the very beginning. First of all, I love all the lore and everything like that. And we want you to kind of get into the details of the lore. But at the very beginning, like literally the very first thing written in the book, the physical book of Weirdwood is A Special Thanks to the City of Helsinki. And it just so happens that Gretchen's brother is, well, he's an expat living in Finland who married a Finnish woman. And so we yeah, have a weird... In
1: Rahe. <laughs> yeah, in
0: Rahe, Finland. So oh, take wow. it away, Gretch, because I know you have some questions.
1: Yeah, well, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm really curious to see about the uh, backstory on this. And as I was reading through the book, I picked out at least two Finnish words. So uh, let's see. Um, hopefully I don't uh, butcher them, but Varaho for curtain and v- Vartajat for guard.
2: Yeah. Yep. So
1: um, what is the, the Finnish influence? Tell us about that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So this is um, that's that's funny you've picked up on this because I've never really gotten to talk about this with anybody. Um, so I went to um, Helsinki on my first trip to Europe. About I guess it was like five six years ago or so. My dad, my dad and I went on a cruise in the Baltic Sea, and one of the first places we stopped was Helsinki. And, um, you know, it, it was cool. We were there for, you know, maybe a few hours. Um, you know, when you do those like shore excursions, you don't really have a whole lot of time in one place. Um, so like I saw it, but it was like, oh, yeah, it seems cool. Uh, yeah, I'd go back there. But, and then uh, a few years later, um, my favorite band, which is a British metal band called Paradise Lost, was on tour. And I've never seen them. Right. They, they hardly ever come to the U.S. I had tickets to see them like 10 years ago when I was in grad school and then like, couldn't go because I was a, I was a diligent student. It was like, I can't skip class. It's the class I can't skip. Oh. Um, so I, I couldn't go to the show. And so they were, they were going to be playing in, um, they were doing a European tour and I was teaching school at the time and we had like a winter break or like a, like a fall break. And, um, it just so happened that during that week they were playing in Helsinki. I was like, you know what? I've been to Helsinki. I kind of know my way around. I'm gonna fly to Helsinki to see this band. <laughs> so I so I went all the way to Helsinki to see this band, and then um, I spent probably about a week there. Just by my, I went by myself, um, stayed at like a hostel, and just kind of like bounced around the city, just walking everywhere, and was was really struck by the by how much nature is in the city you know you have like you're walking around in helsinki and there's just like these little like parks everywhere of like all this overgrown area and it it's kind of different than like a park in in like u.s cities where you know they're all like neatly manicured and very like you know you could tell that this tree is put there because someone wanted this tree there um and it just felt like very overgrown and kind of wild and there were you know i'd walk by these buildings it would have like um uh some kind of like ivy or something growing on, on the side of them and just um started getting i was there walk around like late at night and like it just had this cool like supernatural vibe and so I had this sense of like what if there's like a forest like just beyond where I can see like that kind of like classic hidden world fiction sort of thing and so I I kind of spent the whole week I was there like thinking about this concept and like I'd walk places and imagining like oh well so if I walked by there when I'm not looking like the forest is going to grow is it's going to grow out of the shadow. And if I was in the know, I could, like, step, I could, like, touch this tree and I could, like, pass through into a different world kind of thing. So it all kind of built from there. And then um, it, my original thought was to do it as a novel, which might still happen. Um, and then um, somewhere along the line, I just thought, oh, well, this is a role-playing game. This is, like, such a cool idea for for a role-playing game. And that's, that's kind of where it all sprang from. <laughs>
0: Nice. That's awesome. And yeah, of course, it ended up coming out as part of the Zine Quest 3 on Kickstarter, which was great. And that's how I found it, because it's kind of one of those things. And you talk a little bit about on your website here, and I and I want to mention um, lastreadoutgames.com. And in the blog, you kind of mentioned in one of, the blo- one of your blog posts, I believe it was about Augmented, which, of course, is out right now. And you were sort of talking about, like, as somebody who doesn't really, like, you're not really big part of the, I don't know, the gaming mechanism or whatever. So you put out a game and it takes a little while for people to sort of find out about it. But one of the things that's great about ZineQuest is like, I was looking for games. Like, so, you know, I found, ended up finding like games like yours, which, you know, kind of turned me on to somebody that, you know a game designer like yourself, which I hadn't, you know heard of before. And for those of you out there listening, I mean Ben basically just described what the game is. I mean, it's just like the, the, the forest is kind of coming in and Gretchen, you said the name and I'm not going to get the name right, but Ben, I'll let you say the name actually of the, of the I'm, probably, pronou- I'm probably pronouncing it all wrong. <laughs> so it's the, uh, yeah. So the, like
2: the Verho's idea of like, it's kind of the veil that's sort of, I think it's the curtain is the direct translation you had said, um, that's, um, kind of hiding everything. And then the Vardajat are kind of this kind of, it's kind of like a classic trope of um, uh, I guess, like urban fantasy sort of where there's like this hidden world and there's a group of people who probably are imbued with some kind of supernatural power who are protecting that barrier and sort of like protecting the world from what it doesn't know. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of old like world of darkness like White Wolf World of Darkness in there, like Vampire the Masquerade and, and all that. Because I, I played, I had all those games when I was, you know, back when they came out. Um, and like one of the things that I loved about kind of the original Vampire the Masquerade, and it, it kind of never really worked out this way because the business model at the time was like put out as many splat books and like setting location, you know, location books as you could. But kind of like the implicit idea of the game in the original book was that you would play vampire where you lived. So like if you lived in Cleveland, you would be talking about the vampires in Cleveland. If you lived in St. Louis, it would be the kindred in St. Louis. Um, And I kind of wanted Weirdwood to have that same feel where, so part of the mechanic of starting out to play the game is you basically build the setting from scratch. So it's like, there's going to be those constant elements of, okay, there's a supernatural forest just beyond perception. There's things in it that might come out and like, you know, gobble people up or like people might be trying to get in there to get power or so on and so forth. Um, but kind of the details about what it looks like and the rules by which the world operates are going to be different from group to group based on kind of this collaborative conversation you have at the, at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I love that actually reminded me of a session of a game that we played with a couple sessions we played with a game with Amanda actually running and that was Dresden Files RPG, actually, which, at the very beginning of which you play, you make the place where you're playing and all three of us live in Savannah, Georgia, and we created a Savannah, Georgia that was ours. Now, we did use some sort of figures within our community <laughs> that as a basis, like people that we don't like Which were the villains. Which was a little
1: cathartic, and- <laughs> I'll admit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was cathartic, actually. And I could see that in this game, actually, you could sort of pull out characters that you see maybe like in the media or, you know, in your sort of local community and sort of create a mythos about them. Because one of the things I love about the mechanics, what, you t- what you're talking about is not only creating the world is, but you're asking a lot of questions of your players. There's actually a list of questions during the character creation process that the GM is supposed to ask the players. And it, after you've created the world, it's almost like giving the players cues to, tie themselves into the city that you just created in in an interesting way so like I think it really does and I do love that you know it's funny that you mentioned that because I know um that that is a really that I think that there still are white wolf game vampire players who who are playing in their hometown now Amanda you could probably speak a little bit more to that uh yeah Pretty much every vampire, for that matter, every World of Darkness game that I've ever played or ran has been in the city where the bulk of the players were from or were currently residing, yeah. Yeah, but they are publishers, like you said, so they're trying to sell books and, you know, if you just can play with the one core book, then that's not really enough (laughs) in (laughs) publisher sales. Now, I want to talk about another sort of component. let's, Let's talk a little bit about the mechanics. How would you kind of describe... Weirdwood because I know, for example, you have fate points, but it's not exactly fate. It's it's got some elements of the fate game in it, in that you're creating complications and it feels like there's that. But then you've also got well, some other little I don't know, little <laughs> elements that you've thrown in there. So kind of describe the mechanics of Weirdwood for those who aren't familiar with it, who are like intrigued by your concept, but how you use the mechanics to sort of help invoke those ideas
2: yeah so it is it is kind of a rules hodgepodge <laughs> in a uh, in, in a way um, kind of the core system is built around um, you know you're it doesn't have stats but you're you're gonna be essentially creating a dice pool and then rolling the dice and trying to get more successes than the GM is getting um, and that's going to determine who is able to control the the narrative of that conflict or encounter. Um, but then the the way it works is you're, you're kind of encouraged to be creative in how you're adding circumstances. Um, so you're starting out with, you'll get a die and then you'll think, okay, well, my character is really strong, so I'm gonna add another die there. And, oh, I also have a gun, so I'm gonna add that there. Um, oh, and I also know this street really well or this area really well so i'm going to add this here um and then there's also cues for other people to add stuff so i've um like the player to your left is kind of like constantly sitting there waiting um to add in complications (laughs) and they're actually going to define what happens when you fail so you'll say like all right i want to like i want to um try to um, I'm going to stop this sorcerer from casting this ritual. Um, that's kind of like the thing you want to have happen. And then the player to your left is the one who decides and who, uh, describes what's going to happen if you fail. So it's like, okay, well, if you if, if you fail to stop him, you're actually going to, um, do something that makes the ritual worse. Um, and that, and that person is also encouraged to, um, is is encouraged to sort of add those complications because that's how they actually get their dice back because once you use dice they're gone in that pool and that system's kind of adapted from a game called lady blackbird Mm. um just by uh john harper the guy who did uh uh, blades in the dark oh right Uh, yeah sure um so I, i actually like there's a lot of uh, stuff from kind of some of those 1 um, seven design games so like there's kind of that basic dice pool mechanic is sort of similar to the way lady blackbird works um, but then um, so there's also there's also well, a little let me, extra-
0: let me let me talk a little bit about that because I thought it was really interesting because it takes like you know I think that in a lot of games people, we don't really think of it as an adversarial relationship between the GM and the players, but the, the GM typically controls the adversaries. So even though it's not, you're not trying to defeat the players and the players are not trying to defeat the GM, there is some of that, that kind of comes into play because you're creating the, apo- the opposing forces within the game. But I love that you all, you have that very strong, the player to the left is going to define this. And it really reinforces the notion of this is a narrative storytelling game because the game master really actually doesn't, they roll the dice and can determine and are sort of the arbitrator between how things are determined if, oh, this is, we're gonna allow a dice here, we're gonna throw in a dice there. But even in the rules, even in your description of it, you're saying, Allow the dice. Don't 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 hold <laughs> back. Just let the dice throw in and see what happens. And so like it's it's almost like it feels a little bit almost like a GMless game. I mean it's not a GMless game, but it has some of those elements where it's like the player the other players are really working as to tell some of the the horror of the story as much as they are telling the story of the heroes to a certain extent.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Amanda. You were going to say something?
0: Oh, just it strikes me a little bit like the old World of Darkness Wraith game that you've got the shadow guide sitting next to you. I wonder if that maybe influenced you a bit.
2: Yeah, that's totally what (laughs) what that's from. Actually, it's funny because I was just looking it up um, because I figured we were going to talk about that. And I, I was thinking that it was called something different in... Uh wraith, but it actually is called the shadow. And so that's that. It um, so in that game when you you played as a ghost and you had there was a shadow which was kind of like your like negative self, and there were certain conditions where the shadow could take over your character, and then another player would control your character. Right. Um, which could go like really bad (laughs) in a lot of situations. Um, So Weirdwood kind of uses that same idea where it says that you have an opposite somewhere in the Weirdwood. And when you're there in the Weirdwood, sometimes it can show up and do things. Uh, So you have a shadow token, uh, which you can play to bring someone else's shadow into play. Um, But then every time I wanted to do it so that it it was kind of like a... um, Every time somebody spent a token, it allowed somebody else to do something else. Um, So if I remember, right, when you use the shadow token, you hand it to the player whose shadow you activated, and then they get a weirding token, which enables them to somehow manipulate uh, the weird wood itself. Um, And usually it's gonna be narratively. Um, Yeah, and it is kind of a... um, The whole thing is kind of built around this idea of the players are kind of coming up with as much as they can. Uh, as they go, because um, yeah, in some senses, it's it is a bit of a it is GMless, but there's also there is kind of a high cognitive load on the GM a bit um, because y- you do kind of have to be pretty good at improvisation. Um, For sure. Yeah. Because it, it, the game sort of uh, um, is asking you to take. Whatever is created at the very beginning, and then quickly stir that pot and make a make a game out of it, and make a scenario out of it, and kind of go. Um, so there's, but you're kind of um, the result, the rule, the 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 action resolution system is kind of built so that the players are able to push the narrative in different directions, so they are constantly giving the GM stuff to work with. Um, Because I've always found in my experience of running games is that the more things that you allow players to do and add gives you just more material to work with. And it's often oh, way yes. better than anything you could come up with.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, if my players and all of my games realized how much the game is really <laughs> everything that they've given me and they think I've got some sort of grand plan and I'll have like three lines of notes on my piece of paper that's sitting yeah. in front of me and they're just my making their own so connections.
2: My are smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I basically don't, I, I don't, like, really prep games anymore. Like, I'll just have, like, maybe a page worth of notes. Like, I used to do the thing where I would, like, draw out this elaborate stuff and have all of these, like, really detailed oh. things. And then, like, you'd start the game and somebody would, like, we're going to go over here and do this. And you're like, <laughs> well, so much for that. All right, I guess we're going down to talk to the horse thief. Okay, so here <laughs>
0: Yeah, another opportunity for me to throw out a a plug from one of my favorite books, and that's The Lazy Dungeon Master by Sly Flourish, which is just, I I live by that thing now. I mean, the amount of work I spend on prep work now is, it's almost shameful how little I I do these days, but it is good. And I want to just kind of mention, I want to read this out of here. Um, It says... You know, you were talking about how you can add dice to the GM's pool. One, another player can add dice to the GM's pool to fight, uh, sort of go against what the player is doing. But again, you have in here, it says, this is the primary method of recovering dice. While there is no limit to how many dice can be added, spoiling another player's big moment just to recover a few dice will likely result in a frustrating experience for everyone else at the table. Weirdwood is a collaborative storytelling game. So you actually put, and I think it's important sometimes to put those kind of things like actually in the book in writing because even though we all play games in different ways and we adapt them to sort of suit our needs it's like important to make it known like yes you're doing this and yes this is a dark game but it's kind of like in the end we want to have a really cool fun experience (laughs) telling a story together that is a dark story not one that is like where we're undermining the other players, like every turn that's, that it's every time. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: yeah. I think one of my, if, if there's one constant that's kind of across all the games I've done is that there's, you know, not everything's is described in a whole lot of detail. Like I leave kind of a lot of space of like, look, you have a resolution system. Like if something comes up, just like make a decision and just keep moving because like, it, it, it you, you just get bogged down so quickly, and like it, it's really important to emphasize kind of that spirit of the game, I think, um, mm-hmm. rather than because it's just. I mean, it's it's not a board game, you know. Like a board game is different. A board game has to have really really strict rules. It has really strict. Um, Uh, mechanics for how everything works because there's no room for arbitrary decision-making but like role-playing games are like almost all arbitrary decision making (laughs) you know um especially if it's not like a game that's supposed to be like finely tuned mechanically and like even then like the game is usually not as finely tuned mechanically as as you'd like to think it is um and so everyone, there, there's just how many moments in almost any game you've played, you get to a point where somebody just waves a hand. is like, okay, I don't know, just roll this. It'll be fine.
0: Oh, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and
2: it's fine. Like, it'll be fine. Like, just roll the dice, move on, keep going.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know, I wanted to kind of mention this, too, because we we are talking about this as it's a collaborative storytelling game, but it is, there is a darkness to it, and nothing sort of reinforces that darkness like the soundtrack that you made to go along with this game and i want to talk about marana's breath because the music that you make is is great and the soundtrack for this oh thank you i think it really sets the tone for this game and in fact i'm going to be running weirdwood here as part of a discord group in june as part of their sci-fi month. I'm kind of squeezing this into sci-fi. It's sort of sci-fi-ish, so it's sci-fi enough. I'm calling it sci-fi. And one of the things I'm going to do is I want to play the music in the background because I want them to get the feel of what the game is. And you might be able to convince yourself that this is more mysterious and weird when you're just reading through the rules. But when you listen to the soundtrack, it's pretty dark. (laughs) (laughs) Talk a little bit about the soundtrack that you made for this game, but then also morana's Breath in general, because you've done a lot of different albums. I mean, really, you've done a lot of music. You can find it all on Spotify so if people are interested. many
1: different albums.
0: Yeah, and, and Gretchen, I know you had a chance to listen to a bunch of it. You really kind of explored the catalog probably more than I did. I just listened to the Weirdwood soundtrack, so...
1: I did. I st- I'll, I'll admit, I started the soundtrack, and then I decided, all right, well, let me hit... Uh, you know, we'll just kind of... You know, let it play whatever, um, randomize it. And I just kept noticing that my foot would be bouncing or it would be moving a little bit. And it really kind of tickled my inner
0: goth. I can verify um, that, no, that that awesome. was actually happening. I was sitting next <laughs> to her while she was listening to it with her headphones and I'm like, are you listening to Morana's Mar- Breath right now? And she was like, yes, I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really good. I I don't know. I think a lot of the music it does capture this kind of dark vibe, but also, you know, kind of catchy. You kind of want to move a little bit. Um, so it, it was just, I don't know. But but the soundtrack itself, I mean, you know, we played um, Alice is Missing, which also has a soundtrack for the duration of the game. And it's very my heart would start racing based on the music. So I, you know, tell us about this album and and how it really kind of ties into the game and what you were hoping to achieve by making the album to go with it.
2: Yeah, so um, so this was kind of uh, an evolution of something I did uh, last year when my my most recent book, uh, Black Spire came out. Cause I did a, I actually did a soundtrack for that novel um, which was, I don't know if there was a reason why I did it. I just like thought it would be a cool thing to try, um, and um, so kind of like, and that has kind of like a very similar vibe, but kind of very dark, uh, sort of gothic sounding. Um, but there's there's been like a scattering of people that have done um, that have done soundtracks for their games. Um, there's a game called uh, the, there's a solo game called The Wretched by uh, Chris Bissett. Um, and it's like, it's basically, um, alien after the credits roll where like, you're stuck on this spaceship and you've shot the alien out of the airlock, but it's like survived and it's trying to get back in. And like, you're trying to fix the ship and like, you're inching closer and closer to like some disaster. Um, but he's a musician as well. And he did a soundtrack for the game and, um, it's kind of this very like John Carpentery kind of soundtrack and so um, I was definitely inspired by that and thought it's like oh well, I can totally do that for uh, for weirdwood I have, I know how to make an album da, 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 da. Um, so I uh, yeah I just start I just sat down and like started tinkering um, with uh, you know with some different sounds and um, I had just uh, kind of upgraded my computer finally uh, and, and up to, upgraded to uh, Logic Pro. And uh, just started tinking around with some of the kind of pre-made sounds on there, and just like looking for stuff that captured that sort of brooding essence uh, of the game. Um, I would say the one track on there that's that's maybe a lot different, a little bit different from the others is called "Against the Darkness," and it's kind of this big, like booming kind of. It's supposed to be like a like boss fight music, <laughs> um, really? you know. It's, so. Um, like, and, and that one, like, I was, I was really, I was, that, that was probably my favorite one that I did on, on there. Cause I was, I was really trying to mimic, um, kind of some of those, like, those like big epic sounds from like the, um, like the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack. It's like one of my favorite uh, soundtracks.
1: Doofmobile Mobile is yes. amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, it was funny cause I was, um i was i was playing i was playing it from uh, for my girlfriend and I was like playing the two side by side so like i was it's like i'm trying to make it sound like this and she's like i can't which one is yours they but they both sound it I was like okay you you're just saying that that's it can't really sound <laughs> that it's like no no, this is great it sounds amazing. so um yeah um i have just always loved i mean i am that kind of person that has like themes um sound um playlists on my spotify account for like any kind of game that i'm running at the time um so just trying to make a soundtrack uh for a game was a uh was that was a natural extension of that and it was it was a good opportunity to kind of like meld the two different interests that i had
0: i might have over a hundred various playlists that go with various parts of different games
1: <laughs> I but but are so good with the music especially when we play supernatural oh my oh, yeah. god i don't know
0: yeah, yeah, I yeah do music's,
2: music's super important i mean it's it's a little thing that we don't that like you know you don't think about as a um you know for for role-playing games but like setting that mood is really really helpful
0: yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I've really fallen into using tabletopaudio.com recently, which has um for fantasy at least when I'm running a fantasy game, and but they actually have all different types of genres, but it's a free sort of it's got kind of like songs and music and and vibes in the background, and then also little sound you can play little sound clips and stuff like that, which I've kind of nerd out on a little bit, but um but I'm really excited about playing this album for uh, for when I run Weirdwood. Let's move, though, and I want to talk about now the RPG that you're currently kickstarting, and that's Augmented, which is, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, it's a rules-light RPG, and it's on Kickstarter through June 8th, and it's a cyberpunk game. So, well, you know what, actually, let me really quickly read the, the top of this Um, sort of the first paragraph because I actually really like it. It's funny. It's, it's, It's like you can tell, I know you're a serious game designer, but you add a little bit of humor, which makes me laugh and it made me really fall in love with it right away. Landing a job with the company was supposed to be your ticket to the big time. Then something went wrong. Luckily, the doctors and engineers were able to put you back together again, but they had to replace a few of your squishy bits in the process but your state-of-the-art augmentations are company property, which basically means you are company property. And if you want to keep getting the little green pills that keep your body from rejecting your shiny new implants, you'll do exactly as the company says. So, I mean, like cyberpunk and, and, you know, it's augmented and you're like a cyborg and, and all that. But I love how you just, you know, you throw in like squishy bits and your shiny new implants. And it's like, there's a little touch of humor there, which I kind of feel like, man, we just need a little, sometimes like just a little bit, like chill out a little bit. <laughs> and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with an idea of doing a cyberpunk game that's rules light. Cause I literally cannot think of a rules lights, like cyberpunk game. To me, they're all like ultra complicated because you have all of these moving parts. It's almost like they feel like because it's technologically complicated, that the game must also therefore be super complicated. So I love this idea. So talk about uh, it. It makes me
1: so excited that it it you have no skills or stats. I got I giggled and I was like, yay, no skills she, or stats. She did. Yeah, I can confirm <laughs> that as well.
0: But yeah, so talk about the game. Kinda of give us the rundown.
2: Yeah, so um it, it kind of I kinda of have that same feeling of uh like just like the thought of running a hardcore cyberpunk game just like I makes my eyes bleed a little bit. I was running a, cause I used to play a lot of shadow run uh, forever ago and I was running a Shadowrun game um, uh, last year and it just got to a point where it was like, I've been struggling with this game for 20 years and I just can't anymore. <laughs> like, I can't, like, I can't remember all of these rules. I can't remember like, oh, how does the, the recoil work on the gun and what is the, this and the, that and uh, the, 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 um, so yeah, Augmented was kind of um, my attempt to build a cyberpunk game that would capture that. It would capture everything I wanted out of a cyberpunk game, which is just you know, kind of a heist game. You know, um, like you know, breaking into the corporate facility, stealing the stuff, assassinate the target, kidnapping the uh, you know the uh, scientist or whatever. I uh, mean, you know, getting out before you get blown up. Um, and then just being able to do that without having to like constantly look down your sheet, constantly referencing stuff uh, in the book. Um, originally, um, so so augmented. Um, it originally came out on itch. uh Itch.io. and um, the 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 very first version of it used a slightly different rule system uh, that was adapted from a game called Ghost Echo, um, and then I, uh, I I I was kind of. To be frank, I was kind of unclear about what like the licensing situation was with, with that game. So I wasn't entirely sure what I could use and what I wasn't. So I just scrapped it all and like adapted a rule system from another game of mine uh, called Revenant. Um, so it uses kind of a stripped down version of that. And so yeah there's basically I, I kind of went to like the very core of what I wanted for a cyberpunk game, which is, okay, you are unwillingly working for this corporation, you have cybernetic implants um and you're really competent at basically everything that you would be expected to do. Um, I don't need to know, is your hacking skill, is it a four or is it a five? Uh, it's like, you know how to hack computers, you're fine. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so the way the, and it, it's, it's kind of a Fast and loose sort of game. So much like Weirdwood, there's a lot of gray area where it kind of expects that you're going to have to sort of massage things a lot, and it's really more narrative focused, um, where it's like, okay, what what is your character trying to do on the whole here? Are they like, like, w- what is your overall goal? And that's kind of the thing you're when, when you're trying to overcome a challenge and making that test. Uh, that that's really what you're looking at, rather than kind of just like. Yeah, getting into that nitty-gritty of like number crunching, Um, and it kind of takes a similar approach to Weirdwood, where it's sort of trading back and forth narrative control between the players and the it's called the supervisor in the uh, in augmented.
0: Perfect, perfect. Perfect.
2: And um, yeah, so it's basically you roll two dice on everything and they're um, they're different colored dice one die is assigned to the player the other is assigned to the supervisor and um there's a, a a target number you're trying to hit so if you hit the target number then the player gets to describe what happens but if the supervisor's die is higher than the um than the players die they get to do certain things and then vice versa if the players die is higher, they get to add certain little elements here or there or um kind of remove a status effect or do something additional um so it kind of like gives it's kind of like a really um i don't know if you've played the um final not Final <laughs> um fantasy flights um genesis system that has um they used it for the star wars games um it has all these like extra dice um, these special dice that have like lots of extra little symbols on them and um, based on the role it's like okay well you succeeded but there's this complication so it's kind of like a simplified version of that because I like that concept I don't particularly like the way those dice work um, but um, again it's, it's kind of the idea of you're engaging in this collaborative narrative that's you're just kind of pulling the story onward
0: well I love that because so I love the genre of cyberpunk. I've read a lot of William Gibson and I i mean, you know, I mean, any of the anything that's cyberpunk related like that comes out like, you know, you see a movie or any of that kind of stuff. I'm always excited about it. But games have fallen a little short for me because of that fact you spend so much time in your character sheet and so little time actually paying any attention to what's happening in the story because there's so much little like tiny details. And to a certain extent I can understand why game developers go in that way because it would be super complicated to imagine a scenario where you have like parts of your body which are like not living tissue. So it would be complicated, but- It's funny,
2: there was a, um... One of the early games that I tried to make was a, um, it was kind of like an alternate history um, pirate RPG. And um, I got to a point where I was creating rules for like, different categories of whirlpool and like w- how much how much like pull did the whirlpool exert like at its center how much how how strong was the pull 10 feet out how fu- and it was like i i looked at it it's like what am i doing with my life i can't like i can't i can't do this anymore <laughs> so it's really easy to fall down that rabbit hole of kind of that simulationist complexity once you start and so, when, you know, when I was making augmented, I had to be real careful, like, I, and I kind of, like, locked myself into that, like, no stats right away, and th- there were several times where I was like, oh, I've got, uh, no, no, I can't, I, it can't have a stat, it's, it's just got to got to figure out something else. You got to hand wave something or like, and there's some optional rules uh, kind of in the back of the book that have um, some additional, like slightly more complex things where like, you can add like um, equipment, you can add tags to things where they'll put like different statuses on on things that you'll have to overcome and that sort of thing. Um, But I I tried really hard to stick to that because my core idea was I wanted a game where someone could buy that game, read through it in 10 minutes, and run it immediately because I think a huge problem with role playing games, and you could probably tell when you look at my shelf of like all these games, is that you know we get these games and then like they go on the shelf and we never play them because yeah. it, it's it's too hard to get to a point where you feel confident of running the game and then explaining to other people how to run the game and you know I just wanted and I, I I've really come to appreciate games that are much more simple. Um, so, like, um, there's a game called uh, Electric Bastion Land. Um, I I'm, oh, the designer's name is escaping me at the moment, um, but it's um, yeah, it's kind of like an OSR kind of like old school uh, D and Dish type game, but the rules fit on literally one page of the game. Nice. And so like you can read that and then everything else is like randomizer tables and stuff. And like, I, I, I like as I've gotten older, it's so nice to be able to just like grab a game and be like, all right, we're going to play this and we're just going to go. Like, I don't need two weeks to prepare. I don't need everybody to do homework reading, which you're not going to do because players will never do the homework reading. Uh, <laughs> so, it, you know, and nor should they, nor should they. I, I mean, y- you should like not force people to do a lot of work to come play a game unless like they're really into that. Um, but um, yeah, so For- that the would
0: word, The key word there is forcing. Like if people are mm-hmm. into it, then sure. You know, I mean, that's, that's great. But I also think you know, there's a, this is I, just a sort of a funny anecdote. And I, I backed out at the last minute, which was a really, really smart play on my, I, I, an old, somebody I used to play with way back when invited me to play in a Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 edition game. And as part of that, we were to, we were to build our character plan through level 20 C- listing out feats and skills oh, and how and they would come God. up and how we would do all this stuff yeah. and how our classes would, would, how we would multiclass and all this stuff. And I'm not even going to lie. It took me 20 hours to make my character 20 hours. Now let's <laughs> say, you know, I mean, you know, you're a parent, Ben, <laughs> Amanda, you're not a parent, but you understand the limited amount mm-hmm. of time we actually have to play games. We play a session that's three or four hours. So like that would have been, as many as seven sessions it took me to just make the character. Oh
1: my God.
0: And right before we were about to play, I was like, okay, I understand I've already spent 20 hours making this character, but I cannot <laughs> play this game. This was.
1: The- <laughs> <laughs> also, thank you, Rob. From the bottom of my parenting heart, thank you.
2: <laughs> also, you've already played the game at that point. Yeah. You know what, what the character is going to be. You know, yeah. it's just like, oh, all right, well something's gonna happen that I'm gonna get those skills where like, you know, part of the fun should be like, all right, well, what am I gonna do next? Like, you know, you might change your your plans.
0: Exactly, and also like, wouldn't it make sense that your character wouldn't make all of these decisions years in advance? You would be influenced by the setting and what happens to you in your life, not like you perfectly plan out. I mean, just think about what real life is like. We all have plans to do something when we're young and then real life happens and then, were changed by our experiences. So like, anyway, I backed out of that game. I don't want to get into that because we're talking about you and, and everything that you got going on. So your augmented Kickstarter right now, what I think is kind of cool is there's the opportunity for people to purchase the PDF, which you've already previously released. There's opportunity for people to purchase giant blocks of all of PDFs of a number of your games, which I think is cool. And then there's people like me that must have the physical copy of every game that I have if I can I get know. it because I just I like having yeah. <laughs> So if like, you know, I have way here. <laughs> we will never run out of space. No, you can we always get more stuff. We will get more space. <laughs> yeah. If you could see my bookcases, you wouldn't complain about running out of space for RPGs.
1: We're running out of space, Amanda!
0: <laughs> um, but, but you're doing a kickstarter that's gonna put hopefully if it comes to conclusion you'll have a hardcover edition of augmented so that'll be really cool so what kind of brought you to the conclusion you want to have this in a hardcover format and not just have the pdf i know you did also recently update kind of things recently as well
2: yeah and i, I should clarify it is going to be a paperback oh paperback
0: um, paperback paperback. yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. um a yeah just because like yeah. Yeah, the, the the shipping costs on hardcovers are, sure, yeah. are just brutal. Um, but um, yeah, so I had I had originally released it uh, as just as the PDF. And when it came out, it was the core game and then I did a setting guide because um, I didn't want to I wanted people to be able to kind of make their own setting for it and not feel like they had to follow whatever like idea that I had about stuff. Um, but at the same time, I know people like having kind of a ready-made kind of campaign setting ready to go. It, it, or it gives them stuff as like a starting point. Um, so for the Kickstarter print edition, it's going to combine the core book and the, um, and the setting guide. And, and it's also going to redo all of, the, all of the layouts for the setting guide. Because the setting guide originally um, was, it was the, the interior pages were all kind of, they just all had the same background. Um, so it didn't have kind of like fa- a lot of fancy imagery or that kind of stuff in it. Um, so I sort of went through and redid all of those spreads uh, to make them look all kind of nice and pretty and match the uh, and match the core game. And it's got a it, the whole thing has a new cover. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of the same way where I, I, I like to have a physical edition of stuff. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was. But, but I wanted to, to have like a reason to print it rather than just like, oh, well, it's just going to be like the game that you can already get here. (laughs) Uh, So that was kind of why I did the new cover and then added um, or combined some of the existing uh, stuff with it. And then, um, yeah, once I started putting the Kickstarter rewards together, I thought it's like, well, I've already got all these other games. Like, I'm just going to like put that on there as a reward level. And it's like, if you want to get all this other stuff, you can get all this other stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. I'm I'm really interested. You know, you've done a lot of games. I mean, I know that this game is Yeah, but if I'm not mistaken, this game is actually was written before Weirdwood. So you're, even though it's kind of coming out afterwards as far as a Kickstarter goes, and you're revamping it, and actually you released another, I'll just kind of throw this out here without confusing everybody, but you actually also just released another RPG, Mm -hmm. The Shadow and the Beast. Um, So Mm -hmm. you're a busy man. I kind of want to just talk like briefly about, being a game developer and a game designer because you're obviously putting out a lot of games you're thinking about this a lot um you obviously have a passion for gaming but what kind of got you like you know what got you into game designing and sort of how did you sort of make that leap from just thinking about oh i love playing games to i'm going to make my own game to i'm going to start releasing my own games
2: yeah, I think it was, it was always something I, I wanted to do. Like, I remember when I was a teenager, you know, I, I, like my, my dream job was going to work for like FASA Corporation or White Wolf or something, um, you know, <laughs> right before both of them kind of imploded. Um, and um, so... You know it was always something I kind of wanted to get into. and like one of the obstacles for doing it independently was, well, like I could write it, but then I would need to get art and all this kind of other stuff and da da. da, da, da. And you know I mean today there are just so many resources available. Um, just like I mean, everything that I use has some, um, kind of either like public domain or some kind of commercial free usage art that I've gotten from like, you know, Unsplash, Pixabay, Pexels, uh, that kind of stuff. And um, so I had, you know, I had written out stuff for a lot of games as kind of like prototypes. And then last fall I sat down and actually started tinkering with doing a layout mock-up. Um, and the games I started out with were Revenant and um, The Hounds of the Tsar. And so I started tinkering with them. And like, this is kind of funny. I was actually using like an old version of Microsoft Word um, because the old version of Microsoft Word used to have the publisher functionality built into it. So I started just tinkering around with that, putting stuff in. It's like, oh, I'll put this picture here and then I'll put this text box here and I'll adjust this size. And it it kind of just started. And then the next thing I knew was like, well, I think this looks pretty good actually. Uh, I think I'm just gonna put this on the internet and see what happens. Um, so that was kind of where I got started. And then um, I, I upgraded software to, cause I, now I use um, Affinity Publisher. Uh, so augmented is done, augmented Shadow and the Beast were done with, um, with Affinity Publisher. Um, Weirdwood actually was done on Microsoft Word uh, I, I had kind of a panic moment right before I sent it off to the printer where I had to like redo the formatting because I had the, I had the, um, the page margins too big. I didn't have the bleed set right and all this stuff I didn't know. Um, I'm very much the type of person that is like, well, I'm like 90% ready to do this thing. So I'm just going to start doing it and I'll figure it all out <laughs> as I go, um, which sometimes leads, it leads to some problems along the way. Um, and yeah, it was just um, kind of once I got started With doing it, it was, um, you know, I kind of built kind of this, uh, it's kind of a chaotic process for me, putting them together, like when I'm working on a game, it exists across like, you know, three different uh, Google Docs files, (laughs) <laughs> different notebooks um you know i'm like grabbing pictures like i'm starting to do layout and it's like all in these different places um which is very different than like how i write novels which is much more structured where like i have to have an outline um and then i have to be really disciplined about like okay i'm gonna write a thousand words a day and just plug 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 um, so there's a there's the games have a bit more of a um kind of like a freewheeling kind of like punk rock approach to them, I think, which is, uh, which is really like exhilarating when you're in the middle of it. Um, and it kind of feeds into sort of like my, um, I guess like my manic enthusiasm when I'm really into something. Um, it's not, it's, it's not great for, uh, for sleep.
0: (laughs) That's so funny. You know, it's, um, I thought it was interesting too, isn't like it, that you're talking about this manic punk rock style. And I think it was in one of your blog posts where you posted something like, yeah, I know. I just released the game last week, and so here's another game that I'm releasing because I just don't know how to be marketing savvy about this. So I'm just gonna release the game because I just I'm done with it and it's ready. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the marketing aspect is like and I'm that, done. <laughs> that's that's the part that like. That's the part that keeps me up at night, where it's just like, ah, oh, why can't I do this? I mean, the ironic thing is that I actually work in marketing. I'm a marketing copywriter. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I should be great at marketing stuff. And, like, I, I it's, I just never, like, cracked it with, you know, with either, like, writing novels, with uh, doing music, with doing games. It's just, you know, always kind of, like, it's like, ah, oh, it's like, if I could just, like, get that wider audience somewhere. And it's, like, I, I don't know. It's just some... Um, waiting for it to happen That you know it's like i'm
0: just, yeah, yeah, just gonna yeah. keep
2: doing stuff in the meantime it's like well if something does hit there will be all this stuff that people can go back and find so
0: <laughs> well you know i think that it's um i think that it's a a a funny thing but i i do think that actually right now indie games are kind of exploding i i, I to, to my eyes at least it's more than ever and i mean i think maybe that might be kind of a residual effect of the popularity of like dungeons and dragons fifth edition but i think that i have never been more interested in indie games and as far as like looking for just different ways to play games different ways to tell stories and sort of gather together and have a kind of different experience and sort of that D or or vampire or these sort of standards that have been a part of our our White Wolf games have been a part of our role-playing experience for just so many years. And there are just all of these great little games that are coming out now. And I would put, you know, Weirdwood in there and, I, and I'm excited about Augmented as well. And, and um, just these little games that are coming out that I think are just offering like a different way to play that is fun and interesting, and, and I think that there are people like me who just want to try them, who just want to try out new things and experience new things.
2: Yeah, there's so much cool, and and the great thing about the indie space is that there's so there's a lot of uh, diverse voices there. Where it's right. there's a there's a lot of stuff in there where it's like, oh wow, I never thought about a game from from that perspective. That's really cool. Um, so it's and th- there's just so much stuff coming out, and, and I think it it does appeal to. You know, people like yourself who want to play a lot of different games and want to experience a lot of different things. Um, I I tried several years ago to do a um, uh, thing where we were going to play 12 games in 12 months. So every month we were going to play a different game, Um, and it lasted for about three or four months. And then, like, I had to get a second job for something, and it kind of fell apart. Right. Um, But it was it was cool because like you like people got into it after sort of the first or second session or the first or second game, um, you know, and it, there is a, a factor of like one of the things that you'll hear people complain about a lot of times or not complain about, but we'll say a lot of times that, um, you know, I don't want to learn another game. I, don't, I already know this game, you know, it's usually like, you know, it's like, well, I know how to play D and I don't want to play something else. I've invested all this time, but the more games you play, like the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that thing where like they say after you like learn the second language, like the third and fourth languages are, are kind of easier because like you start to see so many different ways of doing things. You know so like now like i've like had so many different games where like i'll pick a book off the shelf at a store and be like oh this uses like this kind of resolution system or this uses this or this is it's like oh that's different new that's cool um but like it really gives you a lot of like grounding that you can work with and i think it makes it easier to pick up new stuff
0: very very well said you know gretchen and i we played in a. A troika game this past week and it was the second time we'd ever played i troika. heard that episode truck is great <laughs> oh, okay yeah we we so we played in another we yeah we so that was the first time we played and we played the second time ever um was this past week and gretchen and i made characters and played the game and had a very successful session we did not make our characters until one minute before the game started like we were just like We're like rolling the dice and like putting stuff down and the game started and we were just, and it was fine because we played D&D. So like it was, like you said, like we knew and we've played, we've been playing a lot of other different games. And so, you know, we play these different games and it's so much easier. You just say, oh, this is like this, or this is like that. Or even when I was talking about Weirwood, I'm like, oh, well, there's, you got fate in here and there's different and, and Amanda picked out the, the shadow, you know, the, the sort of shadow self and you start to find those little connections. And you're right. It, it doesn't take as long, I think, as people think it does. And um, and also I think playing games that are not necessarily meant to be like, you know, a 50 session campaign, you can do more with a character, too. Um, you can as Gret- Gretchen and I were sort of talking about the philosophy of these indie games. And how it lets you do things with a character that you wouldn't think of doing in a game like D&D or a White Wolf game where you know your character is maybe going to last for 20, 30 sessions and you want them to last. I mean, in Troika, I played a, I don't know, Amanda, you listened to it. What would you describe my character as? Gretchen was a beekeeper, okay? She had bees with her the whole time. That's a that's a fantastic Troika character,
1: which I had a lot of fun with because I played a uh, a bee soundtrack in the background every time I would speak. So because <laughs> my character Kenny J uh, was just always carrying around this beehive, so it was kind of fun to really kind of flex that. You know, that's not something I could maintain during a long running game, yeah. but for a one shot just hanging out mm. doing this, and you know, just and I also just love a game like Troika because. Especially this one, which was the Florida Man supplement. I, it was I got to just be weird and quirky.
0: Um, and it's like Florida Man meets Jersey Shore, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and you're in. I know you're in Florida, and it was the cocaine and alligators scene <laughs> that supplement for Troika. So everybody was a Florida Man. So it was like Florida Man. You know, brings oh, the meme. That's so fantastic. My character was the character who broke into jail to hang out with his friends. Gretchen was the guy who stole bees. There was a... I don't know what the other two were, but we were all the insane spaghetti characters. something. Oh, yeah, yeah the guy who, who got arrested shoveling mm-hmm. spaghetti into his mouth. Yeah. And the exactly phone scammer. That was and the a phone other. scammer. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, I mean, yeah, it, it offered an opportunity and we had a blast. I mean, we we're all laughing and it was really fun and it was totally yeah. insane and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, there, you,
2: so. you you definitely need to check out um, electric Bastion land. It's, it's much like Troika in that, like, instead of a class, you have a failed career and the book has like a hundred failed careers and you roll them randomly. Nice. And like, they all get like random equipment and random stuff based on like, and and they're like, they're not like normal careers. So it's like, um, Oh, what's one of them. Um, 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 It's, it's all like really like weird stuff. Um, And like, you like, you'll get equipment that's like not useful at all. (laughs) And you have to like figure out, Oh, like, like one of the uh, examples is like, you're a gang of orphans. And like the number of hit points you have determines how many orphans are in the gang. So, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, it's.
0: Look, I did look it up. It's actually designed by Chris McDowell. So I'll McDowell, just McDowell, that's shout, his name. Shout out. That's yeah. his name. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I want to I want to wrap this up, and I and I want to give you another chance, of course, to sort of promote augmented. But before we do that, I, I wanted to sort of finish up with one last little discussion here, because and we talked about it at the very beginning, is that so I don't know how many games that you've designed that we've talked about in this particular episode of RPGs and Baby Makes Three. We've talked about probably I don't know a dozen albums that you've made, including the Weirdwood album, which you just did. Uh, if you go to Benjamin sperduto.com you can find your novels um because you write fantasy and sci-fi novels and you have two teenagers. So how do you do that? <laughs> do
2: you do that? <laughs> um yeah it's um I, I would say the novels are definitely the hardest part of that to work in. Um you know because like like writing a novel is I mean there are people that can write a novel in like you know a weekend or something. I'm not one of those people. Um, You know, so like I need to like have carved out time every day to work on it when I'm like really working on something. And um, yeah, it's um, I would say it's gotten easier in some ways as uh, kids have gotten older. So my kids are um, 15 and 18. Hmm. Um, So but like, you know, when they were when they were younger, it was um, it was tough. Like basically the only time I had to work on something was, you know, in the evening after like, you know, when they were kind of like ready to go to bed or, um, you know, uh, some some something like that. But I, I think it just came down to really, you had to be really particular about your scheduling and just how you, and how you fit everything in. Um, you know, which is hard for me. Cause like I, in some ways I'm a very unstructured person. Um, so <laughs> uh, I kind of resent the fact that I need that much, uh, that much order. Um, But if I'm going to get anything done, I I, I just have to have, I have to have it. So um, yeah, it's usually just kind of carving out that, that time. And, and it does mean that there's things that I don't do. Um, So I am that annoying friend that has not seen like, nine out of ten culturally relevant television shows of the last <laughs> 20 years like i just haven't seen them people would be like oh so like you know like breaking bad or like you know this or that And i'm like no i haven't seen it I haven't just seen it. game
1: of thrones skip didn't it. watch
2: it i, Don't watch I did it. I, I did see game of thrones
1: <laughs> oh no i think <laughs> we all got better. to the end of game of thrones and thought yeah. what did i waste my life for <laughs>
0: You would have been better uh, off with Breaking Bad. Let's just let yeah, there's a Yeah, there's a couple that I'll see here and there. But, like, yeah, so,
2: like, there's a lot of stuff that I just, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I miss because, it's like, I just don't have the time to commit to, you know, to a television show. Like, TV shows are the big ones. Um, uh, there's a lot of video games kind of missed over the years. And, you know, I used to play a lot of video games. And, like, you know, I just, I just can't. Like, I just had to accept. It's like, all right, well, I'm never getting more than, like, you know, the first – Six hours into Dragon Age Inquisition, I'm just never going to finish it. <laughs> it's going to go on the shelf, and I'm never going to touch it, um, because you know a lot of that stuff just becomes, yeah, a huge time sink. I'm um, not saying it's not worthwhile. And I don't mean to like disparage, um, you know, any of that any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, in order to um, you know to do like a long term project, like especially a novel. Um, yeah, it's it's either that or it's like I went through stretches of time where I would wake up at five in the morning, and I would try to write for like two hours before I had to go to work oh, or get the wow. kids to school. Oh, um, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. I I am not a morning person, <laughs> so it, that that was particularly tough. Um, but yeah, and, and like I'm actually struggling with this right now because I'm I'm halfway through a book um, that I took a break from back in like October when I changed jobs. And I just haven't haven't gone back to it, and I've kind of filled the creative gap by doing um, you know doing RPGs and, and everything, but like I just had this book hanging over my head. it's like, all right, I gotta I
0: need to finish that.
2: So I've told myself I'm gonna start getting back to it tomorrow, so we'll we'll see how that goes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking an hour to talk to us instead of writing your book. Um... <laughs> well this is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It. And, uh, and I want to, before we, before we let you go, Ben, I, I want to give you an opportunity for those who want to not only back your Kickstarter, but just sort of follow everything that you're up to, because you are up to a lot, as we've discussed. How, what's sort of the best way for people to find you online, find you, uh, uh, everything that you're up to and kind of keep up to date on your various projects?
2: Yeah, I'd say, so um, So I am on Twitter. Um, so it's uh, at last underscore redoubt. Uh, and that's going to be kind of all rpg related stuff and then at ben spurduto is a little more like fiction and personal stuff uh, and then i think we mentioned the the websites there's www.lastredoutgames.com and then benjaminsperduto.com um you can find uh so the kickstarter is uh for augmented it's kickstarter.com um i think B Sperduto projects augmented um and then uh um, everything's also on drive rpg you can find it there too but it's all cheaper on itch so Buy it on itch.
0: <laughs> Including Weirdwood, actually, you can get a copy now. I saw. I looked up, and I saw you could actually get a physical copy or a PDF if you want it. Yeah, it's so yeah. It, I, p-
2: I, haven't, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with. I've I've got like about sixty or seventy copies of it left, so I gotta I gotta figure out what I'm going to do. Well, for, I'm uh, sure
0: after thousands that. of people watch this interview, you'll be sold out before you know it. So <laughs> Ben, we really really appreciate you coming on really quick, and if you can just hang out for a second after this yeah, interview is done, we you appreciate so you coming on and and talking to us about all of your games it's exciting we appreciate it thanks
2: for having me this is great
0: rpgs and baby makes three is a production of gretchen and rob sitting on their couch email the show at rpgs and baby makes three at gmail.com you can find more episodes on podbean spotify and itunes as well as on our free patreon page at patreon.com forward slash rpgs and baby makes three